Okay, so we're back. Uh, we're going to we're going to look at Luke now, and uh, Luke is the largest contributor by words to the New Testament. Uh, so it's not Paul. We think it's it's Paul, but it's actually Luke because he gives us Luke and Acts. Okay. Um, Luke was probably a Gentile. Okay. So. Uh, one of the reasons we think that is because his Greek is very good. Um, uh, he was also a doctor. In Colossians, uh, Paul calls him the beloved physician. So he was a doctor. And that actually comes out in, in his gospel because he, uh, you know, the others will, will sort of say the person was sick or they would give a generic term Whereas Luke is more specific, it was this type of sickness. Okay, so um, you can see that in the way that he writes as well. Now, something very beautiful, and I think maybe I mentioned it in the, one of the first sessions. Um, uh, Luke, Luke doesn't have a vision. It's not under you know he's he's some powerful thing that he he wrote this gospel. Uh, look at chapter one, verse one. He says, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So notice what he says. Many people have written about this. He just didn't survive, but there were many other people that wrote. So that's why we can say, well, you know, um, maybe they got it from there. And he says this, uh, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay, so uh, Luke says there were lots of other people who wrote and there were eyewitnesses, and he decides to, to study all of that and to interview people and to mm. compile his own account. Okay, mm. Notice what he says, it seemed good to me. He didn't say... An angel appeared to me and told me I have to write. He just thought, this is a good idea. I think I'll do this. And unwittingly, it seems, it's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it's the Word of God. Okay, And he's writing it for this guy, Theophilus. <clears throat> Some people have thought Theophilus is maybe not a real person. Theophilus, his name means literally lover of God. So some people have thought maybe it's a gener you know, generic. But it does seem, actually, that you know, it was a real person, maybe a sponsor, Maybe someone that he, um, a patron or something like that, but he, he wants to give him certainty concerning the gospel. He is a proper historian, Luke. Okay, so he, um, Luke gives us a lot of names and titles and, as I said, sicknesses, very detailed. Okay, some of these, some of the things that he writes have only been discovered in the last few decades. People thought this is nonsense. That position never existed. We have no record of that. And then archaeologists within the, the let's say, last century or half a century have uncovered plaques. And they say, here's this guy and he has his title. And sometimes the guy was only in charge for one year. And Luke has been proven to be right, a very exact historian. So Luke is the gospel you want to use if someone is questioning the historicity. Because Luke took that seriously. Matthew and Mark, that's not their concern. Not that they're, they're lying or anything. They're just not, um, you know, just the way people are wired differently. Yes. Question. Okay. Um, so, 
I read uh, like more or less the Gospels uh, for like yeah all four of them. Um, I found Luke, and I'm not sure if this is just me or if this is something you've heard before. Um, but I found Luke very very easy to understand and very very easy to like take in the information. And for me, it's my favorite one just because it was very, it was an absolute pleasure yes. to read. You know, stuff like that. It was very to the point, very straightforward. What is that? Something you you think he planned to do? Or? Definitely. So as I said, mm, okay. the the Greek is very good, mm. readable. Whereas, whereas Mark is stunted and it's like, but it's ah, but it is for that audience. But Luke okay. is 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 um, an editor who's you know you're writing a paper, you read all the different resources, you bring it together, um, and he's 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 telling the story. And he gives us the full story. He's the only other one who gives us also a genealogy. Um, now, some of the themes in Luke that are very important is prayer. There is a lot of about prayer in Luke's gospel. Prayer is very important. Seven of nine of uh, of the nine of Christ's prayers are recorded in um, in Luke's gospel, and the parables on prayer are only found in Luke. Okay, so the persistent widow, that prayer, uh, those, those uh, parables about prayer, they're only found in Luke. So prayer is very important to Luke. We should be people who, who pray. Uh, the other thing that Luke is about is about joy. Okay. Uh, remember when you read Mark, Mark is very negative about the disciples. Okay. And that is the reality that often we do behave like that. Mm. unfortunately um, uh, also what we find in a lot of the apostles writing or the epistles is what we call eschatological hope so the hope of the resurrection and the new heaven and new earth and that time of joy and freedom from sin and all of those things Luke is not against that but Luke is saying you can have joy now He's very much about now. Mm. Even in the, in the midst of this, you can know joy. So he has a lot of songs. Okay? In fact, he begins with, um, he records for us the Magnificat, Mary's song, okay? in chapter 1. So you can see all the, the songs and the poetry right at the beginning. Mm. Uh, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Zachariah's prophecy, there's some poetry there. There's the, um, the angels singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, there's, uh, is it Simeon? Simeon uh, and his poem there. Uh, joy is all the way through. And in fact, very different to Mark's gospel. So go to the end of Luke. Luke 24, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Um, so joy is a big theme. So we also need to know this as well. That Okay, yes, yes. Yes, of course. I'm not questioning it. I accept the word. 
But I just want to know, like, so how would he know what Mary saying to God? Just, oh, okay. How would he have knowledge of that? That's what he tells us in chapter 1. He says, other people wrote these things and they were eyewitnesses. And he's taken the other documents, uh, records of this. He, he, pro- he probably interviewed Mary. Um, so that's, that's the, from chapter 1, that's the, that he's, a journal, he's like an investigative journalist. He's saying, it seemed good to me. There were, there were, and he gives the different, it's quite interesting, we don't have time to go into it, but different forms of criticism. He goes and he finds oral reports because of eyewitnesses, so he interviews eyewitnesses, and he, he reads what people wrote. And then, un, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's preserved from recording error. And so, but I can't tell you exactly if it was an eyewitness or if he spoke to Mary or if, um, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> that's a major theme. So very encouraging. Luke is encouraging. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so um, it's important. If you just read Mark, you'll probably be in the doldrums a bit. <laughs> uh, if you just read Luke, then uh, it might not be so helpful because you don't really have maybe a category for when you're in the doldrums. So mm. we need all of them. Okay. Mm. Um, okay, the other thing where Luke is very, is, is, uh, very, is very important to Luke is um, this way. what we might say outcasts in, in terms of um, traditional understanding. So he's, he's very concerned with, with Gentiles. Um, he, he's concerned with women. Okay. So he, has, he tells us things that the others don't. Okay. Um, he... Gentiles, how we could say foreigners, okay? Um, he has the children coming to Jesus. Uh, he has the sick. Okay. He has the poor. So he's very concerned about socioeconomic categories, okay? Um, where you have, so Matthew has a Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, okay? Uh, Luke has, um, it's, probably, it's another, it's not the same account. Remember, Jesus would have said the same or similar things in different places. It's called the Sermon on the Plain in um, Luke, Luke 6, I think it is. Yeah, Luke 6, verse 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place. So notice Matthew says he was on a mount. Yeah, yeah, he's on a level place. So we call it the Sermon on the Plain. And um, uh, he starts talking to them. And verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So notice he doesn't say poor in spirit, 
It says, blessed are you who are poor. Okay. Now, um, just again to, to remind you, as we saw in the Old Testament, the poor is not a catch-all that automatically if you're poor, you're, you're blessed by God. Okay? The poor were those who had no power and no recourse, and so they cried out to God. They trusted in the Lord. So they were believers, and the Lord is saying, blessed are you who, who trust in the Lord. Um, so it's not liberation theologians also like to try and use Luke as well to say um, yeah it's just just God's ble- you know God is is for the poor in a, in a just it doesn't matter you know, it doesn't matter if you liberation what theology yeah. well liberation it's, it's more it's more um, linked to Marxism oh, oh okay yeah oh I see okay so it's it's um that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they use the Bible in a political way. So, you know, like Karl Marx says, the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots overthrow the haves. So they use, they would say, like the Exodus is, they were slaves and then they, you know, God destroyed the Egyptians. So that's a picture of the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots is a revolution. James says, you know, talks about the rich and the poor. And Luke here as well. So they would say that, but they don't, they misunderstand the categories that the poor are not just the poor. It's mm. the poor who cry out to God. Mm. And remember what the Lord says, let my people go that they may worship me. Mm. See, liberation is always so that we can worship God, mm. not so we can have power or... Um, okay. But... God's glory. Yes. Okay. Um... <clears throat> Okay, so Luke also has uh, parables that we don't find anywhere else. And in fact, what is the most famous parable? Well, I, th- I think. Prodigal son. Prodigal son. Only in Luke. Only in Luke. Luke 15. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, there are these um, three parables of something that is lost and then found. Very beautiful. So there's a parable of the lost sheep. <clears throat> and notice who is... Um, uh, verse 34 of chapter 14 says, salt is, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We saw that in Matthew. Chapter 15, verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Okay, See, tax collectors and sinners. Mm. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. See the contrast. Okay, But who are the people who have ears to hear? The sinners, the tax collectors, the outcasts. Ah. Okay, That's the focus of Luke. And then there's these three parables of the the and and I, I will give you my my own interpretation of them. You don't have to agree with it. Uh, verse three, he told them this parable: What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Most of us think Jesus is giving them a a, a home truth. You know, yeah, of course. If you if you've lost one of your sheep, you go looking for it. But notice what he says: If you have a hundred sheep and you lose one. 
Would you leave 99 of your sheep in, an, in the open country and go and look for the one? I don't think so. Nobody would do that. You don't leave, you know, you're in the bush somewhere, you lose one, you just leave the 99, there's wild yeah. beasts and everything. Yeah. You don't do that. Jesus is saying, which one of you would do that? They're all sitting there. None of us would do that. Yeah. And then he says, I do that. The 99 is the Pharisees. They think they're fine. We're, we're in God's kingdom. The Lord is saying, I go and look for the one who knows they're lost. Okay. Hmm. And I find that one. Um, uh, who's so lost. So Michael, you said, uh, so, so you're reading that? ESV. Yes. Uh, do you mind just, sorry to take it back. So you're saying, if he says, if he lose one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after which one. So can you just explain that 199 uh, thing again? So he has 100. He's lost right. one. So 99 are left in the wilderness in the open country. Right. So he's saying to them, which one of you would not leave the 99 in the wilderness? They were shepherds or the sheep. They wouldn't. Right. Okay. That's not what they do. But the Lord will leave the religious person who thinks they're okay. Remember, that's what the Lord always says. You, you're, uh, when he talks about being blind and then they say, are you talking about us? Uh, you see, they, they are blind. They just don't realize it. They think they can see fine. So he, he goes and finds the one and then he throws this party. He calls together all his friends. He's found this one sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Okay. There's no one who needs no repentance. Okay. They, the Pharisees thought they needed no repentance. Okay. So he's saying God is not happy with self-righteous people. But it's the one who is lost, who realizes they're lost. Okay. So that's why it's shocking, because a shepherd would never leave the 99. Okay. Now, you don't have to agree. There's other interpretations. But I think that it fits better with the audience and the shock value. Mm. Uh, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Again, the, the joy is out of proportion to the value of the object. Okay. I mean, even if you lost a hundred rand note, you found it. I don't think any of us would call our neighbors. I mean, the party would cost you more than the hundred rand note. Okay. Maybe she was a poor person and that coin was the lobster. No, but then she throws a party. She calls everyone. It's, it's out of... It's out of... It's out of proportion to the value of the object. So that's why it's shocking. So uh, then he says, and I only picked this up today, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I always just read it as the angels are rejoicing in heaven. But notice what it actually says. There is joy before the angels of God. So there's joy in the presence of the angels. Who is in the presence of the angels? God. God is rejoicing over one sinner who comes to repentance. The angels are just watching. It's like... Uh, you know, God is, you know, when you watch sports with someone and they like go crazy, they're so happy. It's like that. And everyone, like, when one sinner comes to repentance, God is rejoicing. 
and it's out of proportion to our value. What value do we have? Ah, like this coin, yes, it has some value. We have some value. Hmm. But to throw a whole party because, you know, you, hmm. you call all your neighbors. You see, and God rejoices over us. Uh, and and we, have, we have value, of course, but that we're, we're more valuable to God than the angels. And they're so powerful and everything. Hmm. And then, of course, the famous one, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and um, again, showing, remember who's listening to him? The sinners and the tax collectors. Mm. The younger son is the sinners and the tax collectors who comes to his senses. The oldest son is the Pharisees. Okay, Because the oldest son, he hated, he hated his father. Mm. He should have been happy that... Cause, because it would have bro- broke the father's heart, the younger son, what he did. It's, the father was every day, I mean, we don't, it's so rich, um, but he, you know, he lifts up his, um, his tunic. Old, uh, men, older men would never run in, in the ancient world. It's a shameful thing. Um, and to lift up his, to, to expose his legs, that was shameful. Um, yet he, he doesn't care. Okay? He goes after his son. And then the father, uh, the, the second son, the oldest son, is disrespectful. He won't even listen to his father. His father has to come out to him. And then the story ends. In the break, you know, the you know, stories have different scenes. There's, there's another scene that's missing. Okay? We don't get the response of the son. Um, John MacArthur says this. He says, this is what happened. The oldest son picked up a stick and beat his father to death. Because what he's, what he's getting at is the crucifixion. Ah, we know what the Pharisees sure. did later on. That's... Okay. <laughs> but not all the Pharisees. Okay. Not all of them. Many Pharisees believed. Okay. So many did believe. Nicodemus. Um, we're told many of the Pharisees did believe. But they were, they were the oldest son. They're upset. Because it says there they're grumbling because he eats, with, eats and drinks with sinners. That's a, and he tells this parable. No, they understood exactly who he was talking about. But they just were not prepared to, to repent. And you, again, you see the love of the, older, of the father to them. My son, all things are yours. My son, all things. Yes, Duncan. Um, so like something um, I feel like you, someone could take away from that parable as well is... Maybe I'm being a bit... Um, Blunt when I say this, or ignorant when I say this, but can you can you also not take away, like, but stop trying to do everything right? Or I mean, not that it's not not that that's 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 bad. Like it's it's not good, but like, just because you do everything the right way. Like doesn't necessarily mean you could yeah. so, sort of gain God's favor. Like God yeah. sort of would like favor someone who is so sinful but has fully repented and come back. Yeah, now I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah. I think I hear so um, um Because I, I also look at like the other son and he sort of like he followed the rules, he did everything the right way. They worked hard. He yeah, did exactly. He yeah, the house, the exactly. Form, you know, yeah, and he still never got that 
response from his father. Yeah, so that's, that's what the Pharisees were like externally. Okay. 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 Um, so, it's not that the, what the younger son did is okay, because here, like in Romans, there's one example. Yeah, yeah. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you, and you get to Revelation, the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God, the sexually immoral person will not inherit the kingdom of God, the liar will not inherit. So it's not that, oh, well, those are not so bad. Okay. Uh, God hates them. The issue is the person realizes how bad they are and they repent. Mm. The Pharisees refused to admit they were also evil. That's the issue. So it's not... Mm, okay. um, certainly one could say, I, w- I would say this, that they knew more and therefore what their behavior is uglier because of the okay. knowledge they had. Okay. So the, 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 the um, judgment is greater. Um, it's just for all of us that we, we mustn't be self-righteous. Mm. Uh, we must hate sin external sin physical sin and also heart sin of pride and self-righteousness and arrogance etc etc so it's both um but it's no use looking good on the outside and that's what the pharisees we didn't get we didn't have time in matthew 23 you know that he says you're 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 whited whitewashed sepulchers your tombs Mm. that are painted nice on the outside but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones Mm. So inside they were rotten. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, you do get you know people who have then have a low view of sin. They like and laugh about it, and they say, oh, "Are we Christian? You know, we we have a low view. Yeah, they're sleeping around. It's not a big deal, whatever." That's missing the whole what the whole Bible yeah, teaches. Okay. No, that's mm. uh, that's an abomination to God. But what the Scripture is saying. So nowhere will you find it's okay to be a sinner. Yeah. The tax collectors and sinners were coming to Christ. They realized their need. Mm. The Pharisees didn't. That's the issue. As long as you realize your need mm. of a savior. And Zacchaeus paid back all the people he ripped off. Yes. That's how much repentant he was. Mm. The tax collector. So it's never, okay, well, this is not so bad. It's not a big deal. It's always... It doesn't matter what you and I have done. It doesn't matter. That's the gospel. It doesn't matter what we've done, how terrible it is, whether it's, whether it's traditional sins like this, getting drunk, sleeping around, drugs, whatever. If you repent, there's forgiveness. Mm. If you are a self-righteous prude mm. um, with okay. your zip-up Bible and okay. your three-piece suit and <laughs> you mm. look down on everyone, repent and there's forgiveness for you as well. Mm. And you, so um, it's... it's it's, that's always the issue, as long as you realize your sin. The problem is, at that time, it was harder for them to see their sin because the culture saw them as the good guys. Okay. I think now it's probably different because sexual immorality is glorified. Mm. Now it's, there's nothing shameful about it at all. In mm. fact, you know, all the top songs are all about so so vulgar and glorifying and sexual immorality so now it's harder that's not even shameful anymore it's not like yeah you know people are a bit shy about what they've done there's nothing like that now actually you know if you are self-righteous and judgmental then you're then you're the baddie okay Mm. 
So, so it might actually in our day and age might be reversed that okay. that um, the self righteous person is the one who, who will who will realize this forgiveness. And it is interesting that there's no mm-hmm. grace for self righteous people. How so? What do you mean? Well, if someone says something silly on Twitter, oh, you mean there like is no even if they sense. come and say I'm sorry if they oh, say something yeah. racist or they do something. Like, yeah. the self-righteous person will get smashed. There's no yeah. forgiveness for them. Yeah. Like, it used to be for the traditional sinful yeah. person. They would be, yeah. they're, they're the outcast. That's the, the loose girl of the town. And, and mm. like, the, like the woman at the well. Yeah. She had to go by herself. Um, you know, now that's not the issue anymore. It's the other way around. So, yeah, it might be, might be different now. Now, if Jesus came now, he might say the other way around. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the story might be the other way around. Mm. Um, okay, let's get to John's gospel. What's John's audience? Um, uh, so, who's John's audience is the question. So, if you jump to chapter 20... Um, verse... 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which, we are, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So often John's gospel is given to people as an evangelistic tract. And the reason for it is from that verse. These things are written so that you may believe. So it's either written to people who are professing faith in Christ, but are nominal. So it's just in name. They're not truly converted and he's trying to get them to believe. Mm. Or it's to to Jews who are also wrestling and he's trying to persuade them. Mm. Uh, Now, John is totally different. As I said, he's not the first three are part of the synoptics. John is totally different. He doesn't have any parables yet. The whole book is almost written in a parabolic way. Yeah. So John's stories are real stories, but they, they go deeper. They're almost like parables. Okay? Mm. So the woman at the well, um, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus then starts to talk about the bread of life. So it becomes, okay, well, it's not just a miracle about feeding people and multiplying. It's actually talking about Jesus as the one who can feed us. Satisfies the woman at the well is not just Jesus is thirsty and she can give him water or something like that. He turns it to, you know, I am the living water. Okay, so it's very, very beautifully written. John's my favorite gospel because um, it's 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 um, layered. That's what I think D. A. Carson said that he he said you know there's some books you read them once and then you throw them away because it's it's like. He was a fast reader, so he said, you read it on the plane and you throw it away. <laughs> Not everyone can do that, but um, that's what he said. He says, there's other books, you read them the second time and you, sure, I didn't see that. And the third time, you didn't see that. And, and, and so it's layered. Okay? And John's gospel is, is like that. Um, there's um, lots of layers to it. So very, very different. In fact, um, I think the whole of John's gospel deals with 22 days in the life of Jesus. It's not saying 22 consecutive days, but it just draws out 22 days. Okay. Uh, so there's no genealogy. There's not 
all the things that we've seen in the other Gospels. Uh, And he begins, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What does that remind you of? Genesis. Genesis. So intentionally he's trying to remind us of Genesis and uh, creation. And Christ is coming as a new creation, a new humanity. Um, he, he refers to, he doesn't use the word miracles, he uses the word signs. Which I think is, especially in our day and age, is, is, you know, is a really good word. Because a sign is not an end in itself. It's pointing to something else. So in lots of the church today, there's an obsession with miracles as an end. It's the thing we should be chasing, signs and wonders. But a sign is points to somewhere else, you know, to mm. the destination. And that's what the miracles are there for. They're not an end in themselves. They're to show us Christ and truths about, about him. So he uses the word signs. And the book really hinges on chapter 12. Chapters 1 through 11 uh, is known as the book of signs. Thirteen through twenty-one is the book of glory. Okay, so and twelve is is the hinge we'll look at. Uh, there are three Passovers recorded in John's Gospel. The other Gospels don't have uh, that many, but there are three recorded. That gives us why we say Jesus' ministry was three to three and a half years. Ah. Okay, because he went to three Passovers. Um. He begins with this, he says, in the beginning was the word. The Greek word there is logos. Um, And logos was, in Greek thought, is um, the logos was seen as the divine reason. Okay. Uh, Not a personal being, but divine reason. Okay. Okay. that gave order and meaning to the cosmos, to the universe. So a lot of people have said John is, is using it in that way to say, look, what, what you Greeks think of as divine reason, I want to tell you, is a person, and it's God, and this is him. Now, he might be, but uh, I think a better argument, just based on, on the way John writes, because I think he does write to people who understand something of Judaism, okay. um, is... Uh, I think I told you before about the Aramaic Targums. So some of the, the you had some of the, the Old Testament written in Aramaic or translated into Aramaic. And the Targums were study Bibles with the notes in the verse. Okay, And they added this whole idea of the word. Lots of places throughout the Old Testament. Very interesting. Wherever... God seemed to come into contact with people. They wanted to protect that. And they would say, uh, like with the Tower of Babel or something like that, God came down. They would say, God sent his word. They would try to make a distinction. And so the Aramaic Targums, that is what was read in the synagogues. The, The Jews grew up with the Aramaic scriptures being read in the synagogues. So when he says the word became flesh, I think that's actually what he's getting at. That word that you read about in the Old Testament, I want to tell you who it is. It's Christ. Okay, uh, He's the one who has, who has come. 
John is also famous for his uh, I am statements. I mentioned I mentioned a couple now. I am the bread of life. I'm the living water. Can you think of any others? I'm the way, the truth. There's 22 of them. I'm the way, the yeah, truth. Yeah, I'm the way, the truth, the life, the vine. Um, and then he actually says, I am. Okay. Um, in John chapter 8. Oh yes, and they ask him, "Who are you?" Yeah. So they, <clears throat> they try to. They they say he's born of sexual immorality. Why would they say that about Jesus? Because uh, yeah. yeah, they were like, "Pull the other leg, uh, mm. virgin birth. Um, you're, you're a child. Of, you're a bastard, basically." Mm. Um, and they said, "We're of our father Abraham." He says, "No, you're not. You're of your father, the devil." Okay. <laughs> he says, if you were of God, you would love me. Okay. Uh, and um, <clears throat> he says, you know, verse 56. I, yes. sorry, um, I always found that to be a little bit like, I know it's true, but I always found that to be a little bit like arrogant. Jesus to say? You're of your father the devil. Yeah, stuff like that. Like it, it, uh, okay. is that do, is that sort of do you think like maybe Jesus did say those things? If he did, I, I guess it's okay. Um, but um, like do you also think that's a bit of like um, the artistic No, look what he was like in the temple. He beat the guards with a whip. Mm, okay, okay. So he stood as a as the king. <laughs> Jesus the King. Yeah, so when he's saying that... His words are final, or... He has every authority to to say it like that. So he was just exercising his authority, yeah. Yes. So remember when when he says that... um, And look, we can read it in certain ways, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, you you can put certain tone in it. Mm -hmm. The tone is not put there. Um... You know, when, when Jesus talks to that, uh, that uh, Canaanite woman about giving bread to the dogs, you know, I don't think he was saying this is for the, you know, how can you give bread to the dogs? You know, I don't think he was, you know, he might have had a smile on his face, okay. sort of, because he draws out from her her faith. See, she says, but even, even the dogs get the food that falls from uh, the table. So, I mean, you could read it like, yeah, you are your father, the devil. Um, well, you could read it as just saying to them, you're of your father, the devil. You, what that means is not that, I think we spoke earlier, right? remember the seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. Mm. It wasn't some weird thing that Satan slept with Eve or something. It's yeah. not a genetic thing. He's saying you're in the type of Satan. Mm. And he goes on to say that. He was a murderer from the beginning. And they, what do they do to him? They murder him. Mm. He's saying you're in the character of, okay. of okay. Satan. Um, we use that term as well, you know, this person's a father to me and they've really influenced and shaped my life or something like that. Mm. So that's what it refers to. Um, so he's simply saying, you guys, you, you know, what you say about yourselves is not true. You're actually in the character of Satan. 
because they, they did. They killed the prophets. Uh, they killed Christ. They killed the Messiah. They're like the devil. Mm. Um, okay. So uh, here he says, um, verse 56, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Okay. So Abraham rejoiced in the coming of Christ, looked forward to that day. They say to him, you are not yet 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, basically he's using the, almost their logic against them. So like, well, no, no, here he's saying, yeah. before Abraham was, I am. Remember Exodus chapter 3, oh, yes. the burning bush, who shall I say sent me? I am. Yeah. So some people say Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, they haven't read their Bible. Yeah. This is because, and they understood it. Um, so whenever, when I was, not whenever, but... Um, oh, he said it. Because they would have, I see, okay. Okay, I see. Yeah, because they clearly understand. So they picked up stones mm. to throw at him because they, they say he's blaspheming. He's mm. claiming to be God. So when I speak to Jehovah's Witnesses... Um, they answer this one by saying, yeah, they were confused. Who? The, the Jews. Because they don't believe that Jesus is God. So I'm saying, okay. well, here he's claiming to be God, and the Jews understood that because they wanted to kill him. Yeah, no, they did. They, they, were, they were confused. They got it wrong. Okay. <laughs> but it's clear that Jesus is claiming to be God. Mm. For a, before, he's saying, I, I lived, I existed before Abraham. Hmm. Okay. I'm God. Before Abraham was, I am. Okay. I've always existed. This is a most beautiful claim to deity. Mm. Okay, so John's Gospel. Um, uh, we have these signs, these miracles. Uh, the first miracle is what? Wine in the wedding. Turning, turning water into wine. Hey? Mm. And it's also, um, we're told there that the, the disciples saw his glory. Okay, He turns his water into wine. I always love this story because... I mean, his first miracle is not raising someone from, from the dead or anything. He, he creates wine at a wedding. Okay? Mm. Uh, the best wine. <laughs> and um, it's also shown, because we are told that that was in the purification jars. What this story is telling us is that the old covenant mm. is passing. Okay? The new has come. The new covenant has come. And mm. the old is like water and the new is like wine. Okay. Mm. Um, uh, so when does does like the new covenant sort of kick in with the death of Christ? Yes. Okay. So so the covenant is made. Um, remember on the night of the Passover. This is when he when he says, "This is okay. the cup of the okay. new covenant in my blood." So the last the last supper, the covenant meal, and then he he lays down his life. But mm. um, you know the king has come because he says the kingdom of God is here. So. The kingdom of God had already been inaugurated with his coming. Um, okay, so, yeah, there's lots of beautiful stories in, in, in John. Chapter 12, then, is um, the triumphal entry. So up till this time, we do signs. From chapter 13 through 17 is one night. Okay? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 is the night before his crucifixion. Okay? So 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, five chapters, hmm. quarter of John's gospel is dealing with one night. Okay. So he washes the disciples' feet. 
He teaches them about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will come. He prays for them. John 17, this beautiful high priestly prayer. When you feel discouraged, go and read John 17 and hear how Jesus prays for you. Okay? That we may be one. Okay? That we can enter into the, the joy of the triune God. Okay? So, um, very, very important one, one evening. Now, what's interesting is that John does not mention the Passover meal. He doesn't give us the communion meal. But he does mention the communion meal earlier in John's Gospel when, he, when, the, when there's the feeding. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And many of the Jews leave him because they, they think that's cannibalism. It's like an abomination. And then he says, it's not my flesh. He says, my flesh profits nothing. It's my words. Okay. So when we eat and drink symbolically, what we're... I mean, how do we live? By the word of God. Okay. Uh, we're acknowledging our need of God's word to sustain us. Uh, we're, we're acknowledging our need of the word to sustain us. Okay. Of Christ to sustain us. Okay, so... Um, let's see. Um, uh, there's certain things we have looked at before on the cross um, when he is, his side is pierced and uh, blood and water flows, flows out, um, reminding us of the rock. Remember the rock that was struck mm. and water that flowed out. Um, also, remember not one of his bones was broken. We're told that here in John's Gospel. The lambs were not allowed to have any blemish or fault, any bones broken. Um, chapter 21 then is uh, at the end. It's where the Lord goes and meets after the resurrection. He goes and meets with Peter. Peter had betrayed him, denied him three times. Remember that? Mm. And uh, he denied him around a fire. John tells us that he, he warmed himself around a fire in the courtyard. And then the young girl came and said, aren't you one of them? And three times he denies the Lord, even with curses. And oh, he's swearing, I don't know him. And the Lord comes and draws him aside. Also around a fire, the Lord Jesus makes a fire. And he says to him, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's restoring Peter. Okay. Um, people have tried to say things about different different Greek words for love, but it doesn't, it doesn't hold water. Um, there isn't a difference. There's some synonyms, agape, filio, love. Mm. People say agape love is sacrificial love and filio love is a second-class type of love. Um, both words are used interchangeably. Both words are used of the father's love for the son. I mean, the father doesn't have to sacrifice to love the son. Mm. Um, so John even uses different words for sheep. In this passage, two different words for sheep. It doesn't mean oh, there's different sheep. Uh, he uses different words for feed. He uses different. It's just good writing. I always teach my students don't you know use the little synonym thing on Microsoft Word. Like okay, mm. what's it? <laughs> don't use the same word too many times. Mm. That's all he's doing. So don't. I mean, I preach as well as sermons, but it's not really true okay, mm. about the different Greek words for love. Um, but he restores Peter. It's beautiful. Um, and then just ends that we can trust John, the one who wrote it, um, the beloved disciple. Okay, so that's the four Gospels. We had to race through it, but um, they all they have different emphases, different focus, mm -hmm. and, and um, 
there. It's beautiful. And we need all of them because we have such a rich Christ. So we just see him from different facets. Okay, let me 